The Spin-Off Podcast Network. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. Remember that day back in March 2020 when the Prime Minister announced a lockdown and we all looked at each other and thought, wow, the world's not going to be the same again. But we didn't really know how it would be different. For me, it meant living on a couch and on the edge of my bed with my laptop for months on end, spending all my time in Zoom calls, overwhelmed with email and some of the most intense work that I've ever done. By the end of that year, I was pretty buggered. And for a lot of New Zealand, they've felt like that for a long time. And even into the second half of 2020, the levels of burnout and stress and anxiety that we're seeing in the workforce is like nothing we've seen before. Even though the dust on the COVID outbreak is settling and we're getting beginning to settle into new work routines, new work arrangements. That's this week on When the Facts Change. We're going to talk about the new world of work with COVID, how the great resignation is changing the relationships between workers and employers, but at the same time, many of the locked-in views that workers and employers have about work security and also whether and how they should ask for a pay rise haven't actually changed at all, even though perhaps they should. This week, we talked to Professor Jared Ha, who is an expert on the world of work and has done a bunch of surveys since the outbreak of COVID into how people feel about work, whether they're going to resign, what their wages are doing. And he's come up with some surprising results, particularly around how willing we are to ask for a pay rise and also how worried we are about losing our jobs. Really surprising results. And this cognitive dissonance that's out there in the workforce at the moment is, is something else. For example, this week we've had consumer confidence figures showing that we're more worried about our futures, our financial futures, than we've ever been. And not just a little bit more, a lot more. This is at a time when unemployment's at 3.4%. That's a record low. When wage growth is significantly faster than we've seen in more than a decade. When our economy and also our household worth for those people with homes is around $800 billion higher than it was when COVID struck. It's extraordinary. And in this week's episode, we try to dive into why people are feeling so stressed and anxious at a time when, objectively, they should be much happier. We also talk about how employers have reacted, or not, to uh, this change in our relationship with work. Some have, of course, allowed or encouraged people to work from home or in a hybrid way, and we go into a bit more depth about how that's changing the relationship between workers and employers, and which are the more proactive and progressive workers who are able to deal with this, not to mention the employers, who can try to reduce their churn rates and a huge cost of losing an employee. 
We'll also look at the choices that some employees have to actually jump out of the country and get a much bigger pay rise and maybe have the OE that they were looking for. And which employers have the best strategies to try to get those people back in a boomerang way once they've seen that person go. This week on When the Facts Change, we look at the big resignation and how our workplace is changing post-COVID and what we're seeing with wage growth, job security, and also that relationship of power between the employee and the employer. That's this week on When the Facts Change. We wanted to find out what workers had actually been saying about their own situations. And luckily for us, Professor Jared Ha has been doing surveys of workers right from the start of COVID, again and again, not just in 2020, but 2021 and at the beginning of this year. And his results are surprising. Well, Jared, great to see you in the spin-off studio. Could you tell us what you've been doing for the last couple of years as a researcher of workplaces? Yeah, so I guess one of the big things I've been doing is this well-being at work study through AUT. Uh, and I did kind of two rounds in 2020, so just after the first lockdown in May, and then again at the end of the year, uh, and then two rounds again in uh, 2021, which was uh, April and November. And then again, I've just done my my latest round here for 2022 in May. So kind of got five five uh, iterations of my survey. Each one's about a thousand people, largely representative of the New Zealand workforce, although it is worth to note that while I do capture some laborers and you know factory workers, they are much more the minority because they they're not the ones that get kind of picked up by these surveys that I do. And it's not a longitudinal survey, it sounds like. It's a collection of um, surveys of different, potentially group, different groups of people. Yeah, so they're like panel, they're just like a snapshot of the workforce. So a thousand people each time, there'll be some overlap and, and it's probably like 10%. So it's not a, a proper longitudinal study, um, but useful, I, I think, just to give us a kind of barometer of the workforce. And that's kind of what I've been doing. I've been So I have been tracking, you know, turnover, for example, uh, and that has been growing steadily. And, and roughly a year ago, I was saying, wow, there's all this great resignation in America. We could have it here in New Zealand. And I had quite a few people say, yeah, that's just an American thing. And of course, now in 2022, we are deep in our own little great resignation. Um, and, and the world of, of employment is quite different this year. So it's, it's exciting times as a researcher. If I was an, an employer, I... Yeah, I think it would be a challenging time to be an employer at the moment. Could you sort of paint the trajectory of how the workplace changed over those two and a bit years where we had the initial lockdowns, then we were free, then we had little itsy-bitsy lockdowns, and then we had that long grinding lockdown, particularly if you're in Auckland and Waikato at the end of last year, and we're sort of coming up for air now, although, of course, a lot of people have been sick with covid could you give us a sense of you know how things have changed over those two and a bit years? Yeah, so I guess in my research, the data tells me that people's job insecurity was had kind of skyrocketed, would be a, probably a fair way to put it, um, after that first kind of lockdown, right? So everybody was going, gosh, I don't know if I'm going to have my 
my job? Am I going to get, you know, some organizations, even those top accounting companies were, you know, tell, you know, having pay cuts, for example, they subsequently made sufficient money to, to repay staff. So that was good. But at that first snapshot, everybody had this kind of high level of fear around losing their job. Interestingly enough, across the five iterations, it has stayed really high, hasn't really changed. Um, so there is a component in the workforce who, who are feeling insecure about their work. Um, and it's probably just a natural byproduct where, you know, originally from COVID, people have worried about their employment. You know, in 2021, we were seeing, you know, construction taking off and we all thought builders were going great guns, you know, fast forward to the middle of 2022 and we're seeing building companies going under. There's no jib till 2023 possibly. Um, so as much as we'd like to think, oh, builders must be making a ton of money. Well, some builders are going out of business. So if you're a young builder, you're thinking, gosh, am, am I going to keep my job? So there's that component. The other one that did start off um, at a more modest level in 2020 and has grown, and especially the last two rounds, so the end of last year and now is the yeah, the perception of of the employment market. And, and it really is the workforce sees it as the world is my oyster. You know what I mean? There is just this, you know, it, it's pots of gold everywhere. Everybody is literally, you know, kind of thinking, man, this is the, it does look good if I wanted to go job hunting. So those are the two big things. And with that, we've seen this great resignation, this kind of growth from around just over about one in three being, I would say, quite serious about quitting their job, hitting 52% at the end of last year. And I was just like, 52%? Never seen these kind of numbers, right? It's just astronomical. Um, it hasn't changed much last month. We, we were at 48.5%. So you know, plus or minus three, we're probably pretty close to similar levels. And I think the reason it's possibly gone down a few percentage points is those people who were desperate for change at the end of last year have changed jobs, right? So now I don't actually need to change my job. Um, and, and I think we're seeing a couple of different groups here, low paid uh, laborers, factory workers, quitting their jobs to get another job, probably doing the same kind of thing, but making a dollar or two extra a week. Inflation at 7%, that dollar or two a week, gosh, it's probably it's probably broken even, right? But you can see why they've gone. There'll be quite a few professional groups here who probably can't squeeze more money out of their employers. So they're just treading water. And, and let's be honest, at 7% inflation, we're all going backwards, right? Famous saying I heard recently, you know, if you've got a 2% pay rise, you're only going backwards 5%. And I was like, gosh, that's a bit brutal. Um, but we are seeing some groups really um, leverage their scarcity in the market. And I see one of the top lawyer firms is saying, you know, if I bring somebody into the company and they stay six months, I'll get a $10,000 bonus because that's how scarce they are. So that's a bit like friend get friend on Sky or something else. What other types of ways are people um, getting that pay increase? Is it is actually leaving your employer the only way? There's an element in New Zealand where we're quite, I wouldn't call it passive aggressive or reluctant to have conflict with our boss, but sometimes it's just simpler to say, see you later. <laughs> now, it's funny you should say that because I did ask my group, 
have you asked for a, you know, a rise in the last, I think I said in, yeah, in the last kind of three months. And it was a paltry amount. It was like 12, 14%. And I was just like, wow, that didn't, that surprised me, right? But like you're saying there. So I think you're right. I, I think one thing the great resignation is showing a lot of workers is actually, if I don't like my job, I, I will go somewhere else. And, and maybe, you know, your, your comment there is that actually it's far easier to go, actually, I, I'm in company X, they're paying okay, I don't really like my, my boss that much, and I'm just going to take a punt on number Y, who's going to pay me 10 grand more, um, and I hope things are going to work out. And, and you know, I, I know somebody, a um, semi-skilled, so not a high-skilled worker, semi-schooled, and he was saying to me that he's changing jobs every two months and he, and had done it for like six times in a row. And he was literally going to work for somebody, had enough of that guy, next job. Okay, that's a bit of fun. I'm going to move. Next job. And he's just like literally trawling through it because he just can't not get work. And I saw something today, um, I think it's $30 an hour to clean rooms in Queenstown, $60 an hour to pick fruit in um, Bay of Plenty. So, you know, if you're young, well, you know, you could be any age really, but if you're flexible and you don't have those roots tying you down, you could literally go, actually, I'll just, I'll go to the Bay of Plenty for a couple of months, make a killing, move on somewhere else. And, and, I, and I think with this, this whole conversation about the Great Resignation is it does encourage people to be a little bit more adventurous and and maybe we've got a bit stir crazy from COVID, right? And we're just thinking, actually, I could do with <laughs> a change of scenery. And maybe that is my organization as well. And maybe actually I like the people I work with and I like my boss, but I'm gonna go over to to the competitor for more money just for a change. So what are you seeing from the employer side to try to combat this, you know, to avoid the, you know, the horrible email resignation where it's too late then? where they can actually be a bit proactive to say, were you thinking of leaving? And before you do, let me, let me, let me provide this. <laughs> yeah, I'm not seeing that. Um, so New Zealand employers are not overly proactive, right? They're not front-footing these things. And I say to people, the cost of turnover is roughly 100% of salary for, for a skilled worker. And what happens there is, so I don't say, oh, I'm quitting, I'm going to the competitor, uh, and I've gone. So what happens is I'm actually sitting here thinking, actually, I don't like my job that much. So I start actually putting less into my work, my clients I'm dealing with. I all of a sudden start giving them a pretty average job. My boss is not even aware of this, right? I then apply for a job. I haggle. I get a big offer, put my month's notice in, spend the last three weeks of that on holiday, quit. Now you try to recruit the person to replace me, organizations always wait until the person's gone. A month later, they advertise. The market's now critically short. We've got the tightest, uh, the lowest ever number of applicants per job. So I'm not getting, I'm not getting um, enough people applying. They're not very talented. Uh, I finally get a temp. And then a year later, we replace me. And in that whole time, 100% of my salary has been gobbled up and lost by the company. The bad news is if they're a top performer, you're looking at two to three times their salary. And I say to organizations, you know what? If, you know, if you said to your organization, hey, we're actually financially struggling a little bit, but I could give you $5,000, as you said, the front foot approach. But organizations aren't doing that. Um, 
And I have been capturing employee perceptions of their organization, and they've been okay around how much the organization cares for the workforce, um, but it stayed kind of ridiculously and stubbornly modest, might be the way to put it. Um, I thought in reaction, you know, you'd see organizations putting on the charm a little bit, shall we say, schmoozing the existing the employees, looking after them better. And people would say, wow, actually, I'm feeling the love from my boss. I've had a little raise. I was looking for more, but now I'm going to stay. But no, that hasn't changed across these five surveys, two and a half years. And I do think if we're going to be slightly critical of New Zealand employers, they've probably been a very slow, uh, quite... I don't know if lazy is the word. You know, some of them are in trying conditions and really struggling. So I'm I'm sympathetic for that. But th there'll be people losing talented staff who could afford to spend 10% on a pay rise, right? And they'll say, oh no, I can't afford that. Well, you lose, you know, lose two or three of your top performers, and you'll be losing a heck more than that measly little 10%. And what is the best practice here? What are you seeing overseas or the few rare companies or organisations here in New Zealand who are being proactive and maybe using surveys of their organisations, um, engagement surveys, uh, those sorts of things? Yeah, I don't know whether we're seeing a lot of good practice in New Zealand. I, I, you know, and again, this is a it's a it's a winners. A winners are grinners, this might be the, the way we could sum it up in lay language. Those firms that are really good, that offer good training and development, uh, they have good compensation, they have good performance systems, they have good job design around, you know, working from home, working in teams, all of those kind of elements, they are consistently going to be retaining talent and being attractive to talent. So, we have, I'd, I'd, and I'd probably say no more than like 20% of the work, uh, of organizations out there are doing a really good job. And then you get into that real big chunk in the middle who probably are being quite lazy. Um, you know, and there's, there's obviously the poor performers at the end who, who just don't, who just accept churn and think, oh, well, if they turn over, um, too bad. So I think those top ones are doing well, but those ones in the in the middle, you know, what happens to their best employers? Well, when they look, when I work there and I'm looking for a change, I look up to the top twenty percent. They're offering me more money, and they say, "Jared, we could train you and develop you. What's your career path?" So I think good organisations are having um, having one on one conversations, especially with top talent. You know, even even just the workforce in general. I think we're we're looking for much more of a connection, perhaps reminding workers about some of the good things that the companies do. But again, you know, it's that top 20% who do it well and continue to do well. And I think they will carry on doing well through this time period. But it's those, you know, the majority there who really are kind of losing out. Has the um, working from home, um, both full-time and, you know, part-time for some people, has it made it easier for them to lose connection with their workplace and with their immediate uh, um, report or their or their boss in a way that makes it much easier to pull the plug? Yeah, the hybrid ones are really um, an interesting one. So to contextualise thing, before COVID, we had a massive 5% of, of the New Zealand workforce doing some kind of regular working from home. 5%. The, the last two surveys, so November last year and May 2022, 
I got less than 50% of people in my sample working in the office full time. So you got over half the people now doing the whole kind of hybrid working two or three days at home or the office. Um, and there's a small amount. It was 15% near the end of last year, and it's down to 8% uh, in May 2022 full time. So working five days a week. The good news is those hybrid workers are you know, less stressed. They're liking their job more. They're more creative. So there are some real wins. But those who are working you know, five days a week at home are lonely. And that's kind of something I've been doing burnout across this whole time. And it's kind of one of these key determinants. Being lonely is a driver. And, I, and personally, I had never looked at loneliness before. And interestingly enough, you know, that the high group who feel lonely are way more likely to burn out. And unfortunately, those doing the full five days a week working from home are way more likely to be lonely than everybody else. So it's almost so it's a bit of a dual-edged sword. I think the hybrid working two or three days is the kind of Goldilocks zone. You know, I get some connection at work, I get some freedom to do my thing at home, possibly in your pajamas. Um, you know, we've got record high petrol prices. I don't have to fill up the tank to come driving into to Auckland if you can afford to drive. You don't get this problem with, you know, and now maybe looking at those Wellington people, you know, the, there's a train derailment and all the trains go crazy. And, and, you know, now I could just message my boss and say, hey, I'm going to work from home today. There's been a train out. Where before, as an employer, you just sit there and wait until 10 o'clock when the employer finally, employee makes it in through the door and you'd be like, wow, what's going on? Sorry, trains, public transport fell over. So how permanent do you think this change might be? We're two and a bit years in, things are starting to settle down. Are we going to have you know, a significant chunk of the workforce who were once five days a week in the office, but are now hybrid workers? Yeah, I, I mean, I really think that is what the data is showing. That's my personal preference too. I think that's a nice way to get the most out of it. I have had some managers say to me, ah, but people are just at home, you know, lying on the couch watching Netflix, they never do any work. And I say to them, I said, guarantee you your problem employees working at home were your problem employees in the office. You just didn't really deal with it or manage it or you just thought, you know, oh, well, maybe in the, you know, Maybe they'll they'll pick up some slack later on. So I, I don't think it's a productivity issue. And, and indeed, I ask about productivity and it doesn't change whether I'm in the office full-time, home full-time, or some kind of hybrid mix. So I think that's quite um, a good indicator that people think, actually, I can do my job well from home a couple of days a week. And, well, you know, and again, I'm acknowledging that these are knowledge workers, more the professionals. I can't as a laborer or a factory worker, do, do anything from home. A bus driver can't do those kind of things. Nurses and doctors who might be highly skilled, unfortunately, can't do these kind of things. But, you know, it might be a good lesson for, you know, GPs, for example. I understand they spend lots of time doing paperwork, you know. So maybe I'm actually in the practice Monday to Thursday and a Friday I stay at home and I just concentrate on doing that paperwork. Because, you know, we do have the technology, the, the internet helps make working from home a reality. We're able to do Zoom calls. If you've had the personal experience of doing Zoom after Zoom after Zoom, you'll notice that 
you know, the magic wears off relatively quickly. Um, but that to me is no different from going meeting after meeting after meeting, right? And if you spend four or five hours a day in a meeting, good grief, I'd, you should be staying at home watching Netflix just to recover. <laughs> um, so I do think we're seeing a change. Um, and I think the, the savvy employer will be the one who embraces this. Now, the reality is, Bernard, you might say, yes, I love hybrid working, but we might have another employee who hates it and says, oh, no, I want to be in the workplace every single day. Great. Come in every single day. So I think we need to be a little bit boutique and flexible because it won't suit everybody. And, and maybe the one person who wants to work from home five days a week, we remind them of my research and say, actually, it does get lonely. And, you know, and to me, that's, it does go beyond that Goldilocks zone. It's a danger zone, ironically. It's too much of a good thing. And what happens is that, you know, I wake up and when I stop, you know, when I go to sleep, might be when I stop working. So if you're at home five days a week, you just forget where those delineations are. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's KiwiBank economist Sabrina Delgado on what's happening with the labour market in Aotearoa. Our slowing economy gives way to higher unemployment, and we're seeing tightness in the labour market quickly abating. Both a recovery on the supply side, with our surging migration, boosting labour supply and loosening some very tight labour market conditions. But now a stronger narrative is coming through. As consumer demand cools, so too is the demand for labour. Firms are no longer hiring with the same gusto. Already, unemployment has started to lift from record lows, and we expect that to continue throughout 2024. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Sabrina and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Is there a, a bit of a feedback loop that goes on as well? As some staff leave, or maybe they're homesick, and the ones who are left behind are having to take the extra workload, they're maybe already stressed from what's happened through COVID, having to work from home a lot, or just the, the stress of what's gone on in the last couple of years. And then finally, they're stuck almost all on their own, having to do all the work, which accelerates their push over the edge into burnout. Amazing, Bernard. That's amazing. So it's called job creep. And for the first time ever, I actually did some, some research on it in my May um, survey. And yes, 
we are seeing quite a lot of workers say, oh, yes, I've just, you know, we've picked up the slack. We were a team of six, five, you know, we dropped to five and the five of us did the work of six. And then the fifth person's gone and now four of us are doing the work of six. Jeez, when did it get so busy, so tiring? So I actually have data that says, yeah, that's a reality. It has been growing and it's quite natural if you think about the COVID world, right? We've had all these things going on. Um, and it had, we've got this great resignation, so numbers of people must be changing and, and due to the inability to hire good replacements. I, I, and again, I think it'll come to that continuum of um, organisations. Those top, the top you know, quarter, the top quintile will do things better. They will be able to um, attract and recruit and rebolster those kind of teams. And the middle ones and the poor ones won't really care. And the fact that I can actually squeeze more work out of you. Sounds great until you do brass off our key client. You quit. The qu the client quits, and now our business has just gone down the gurgler. And maybe I should have cared about the human resources a long time ago. Yeah, who's doing a really good job of this? Being preemptive about finding out who's just about to burn out, or seeing in advance that there's a stressed person who's having to work, do the work of two or three people and and make sure you don't just get that um, that email at the end of a long day that says, I've had enough of this, I'm off. Yeah, I think we do see quite a few firms. They do tend to be the larger firms. They do tend to be those more, you know, being financially successful or at least stable across the, the COVID time. So they they dominate that that you know top quintile group. You know, it, it might be that SMEs, especially the smaller size ones, maybe managers and business owners are saying, I know all my people, and maybe they do. And so maybe they're able to do a fair job. Um, it, it would be less kind of um, survey and analysis and more kind of feeling the workers. But of course, my, my research shows those managers and business owners are under immense stress and they're more likely to burn out you know, I, I was talking to a an ex-CEO, we were at an academic event, and he said, oh, you know, I was talking about burnout and managers, and he said to me, oh, I've just quit my CEO job. And I was like, wow, have you? And he goes, yeah, basically our board meetings became weekly. And he said that the <laughs> demand on them, instead of monthly, and he just said the demand was so insane after, you know, five or six months of COVID, he was just like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to carcat with a heart attack and, and he said okay I'm out and now he was doing something far more leisurely and looked you know looked well and smiling and I thought yeah you know so even at that CEO level the board could put excessive pressure on people so I do think we've seen you know burnout across the whole spectrum you know we see lots of the talk about this with midwives and nurses um, and medical doctors especially those essential workers right who have been under the pump um, but we should also spare a thought for checkout operators, right? These supermarket workers who had to have full PPE and plastic things, and they're on $1 over minimum wage. Um, and, and the worst thing is once we got out of COVID, the, the supermarket said, thank you for your service. We're taking that $1 back. You know, it's, I mean, and I, I remember being opposite. I, I was the designated shopper in my household and, and seeing one of these workers and just looking at it like, you know, you like it's somebody, you know, it's like a, a movie scene with a bowler virus type thing, right? This is just, you know, somebody earning at the time, you know, 20 bucks an hour. 
going, oh gosh, I hope you know, I hope you don't sneeze and I catch it and I die. That's that's that was the fear we all had. Medical doctors have far more, you know, nuanced training and and expertise. And and I think you know we've got to remember the hard job that supermarket workers, trolley, you know, maybe the trolley people were the luckiest ones because at least they were outside. But they were, again, you know, they would have had the masks on. I'm sure they thought that was fun for eight hours a day. So, you know, there are lots of groups who have been struggling through this thing. And I, you know, we saw this in, in England, right? You remember they used to get out there every Friday and clap for the NHS until they stopped clapping. And then, the, you know, then the health workers said, cool, can we get a pay rise? And the government went, no. Oh, sorry, I got no money. Um, you know, yeah. So, so again, I do think we need to kind of look a bit more holistically and probably more beneficially as a society. And, and again, you know, we see now Australia's got a four point five billion dollar war chest to come and grab health professionals around the world. They will target our nurses, our doctors. If you're a nurse earning, you know, you can get thirty thousand dollars more. In Australia, you know, that's a significant jump from 68,000 or 70,000 or whatever. And I think those kind of things will push people. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't want them to leave, but I could definitely sympathise and empathise with why they would leave for a decent pay rise. Let's talk about that um, risk of people jumping on a plane, particularly the younger ones who are more flexible with their family situations they were going to have an OE at some point anyway, but they were locked down for two and a half years. Now the borders are open and uh, the recruiters from Australia are knocking on their door uh, in an online sense, I'm sure. How do employers um, deal with this? Do they say, well, we're going to go anyway, I might as well just let them go. Uh, what's the best way to, to deal with this? Yeah, so there has been some research recently around boomerang employees. So... Bernard, you've worked for me. I know you're really good, but I also know you're young and hungry and the the lure of the Gold Coast. But I say to you, hey, look, you go there and have fun. Not too much fun, um, but keep me in mind if you if you want to come back. And so maybe you go to Australia for 18 months, two years, and you go, actually, I am missing home. And you email the boss. We've left in good terms. You know, you said to me, actually, I can give you two months notice. Oh, thank you, Bernard. That's really helpful because it gives me time to try to find a replacement. Maybe you're trying to help me out. Um, and then you can come back and then you could say, actually, I have trained in these other roles and I've raised my skills. So now I could do with a with a decent pay rise as well. And, and you could negotiate that from Australia. So even better. So I think part of it is understanding the workplace, you know, Turnover is natural. We are in, we are seeing un, unnatural levels at the moment. But, you know, you go to Australia for too long and you say, you know, hey, you know, in a couple of years' time, hey, Jared, you got a job for me? And I said, no, we've got tons of these fabulous, skilled Irish and English um, <laughs> backpackers here now. And, uh, you know, one of them's taken your job and your ex-girlfriend uh, and he's never leaving. And then you're like, ah, oh, man. So, you know, so there is that element in there. And I do think, you know, once the, the, the borders open up properly, fully, and immigration seems to function um, in a more immediate kind of way, then I think by 2023, we, we would hopefully, fingers crossed, if not earlier, um, we would see things start to change and that kind of power of the worker change and, and, and reduce 
What have you seen in terms of uh, you know who's done best and worst through this time from your research in terms of Māori, Pacifica, young, old, women, men, uh, um, part-time, full-time, who've, who've really thrived and those who've struggled, not just in terms of, you know, burnout or uh, churn rates, but also in terms of, you know, total re- remuneration pay. So, so this is definitely very varied. Gender has been the one kind of constant that hasn't differed across almost everything. Men and women are quite equal on their burnout rates, their quit thoughts, their well-being, those kind of things. So we haven't seen a kind of gender split there in the data, which has been interesting. Māori have been consistently more likely to burn out, so that's been a concern um, in my research. Um, Obviously, those low-paid workers. Why, why is why is that, Jared? Oh, it's it's possibly complicated. Aronga takirua is the Maori word, which means like a cultural double shift. So we get, especially amongst professionals, they're working two roles. So I've got my nine to five Monday to Friday role, and then somehow uh, I'm the company rep for the local marae, which isn't even mine, but if I don't do it, you'll send the Irish guy, and so I'll do it. Um, and, and it's just kind of all this unpaid work that goes on in that dynamic. So I do think we're seeing a unique kind of pressure facing Māori professionals, and I think, unfortunately, given Māori overrepresented in, in low-skill jobs, labourers, factory workers, that, you know, they often work lots of hours just to make ends meet. And, of course, with inflation going up, got to work more hours. Um, but once you get over 55 hours, it is that kind of danger zone for health. Um, and, and we already started before COVID. A, a lot of people were doing 55-plus as it was. So it's been, you know, there's a lot of interesting things going on there. The, the, the lot more low-paid workers are quitting but, I, you know, I think they're quitting to get one or two dollars more an hour, whereas the professionals, you know, if you're getting 10 grand more, you know, yeah, that's, that's quarter of the quarter of the minimum wage. So that's the equivalent of what, like five dollars an hour, right? So it's way, you know, that, and I mean, and, and some of these lawyers are getting that kind of as a bonus if I can bring a recruiter, a fellow lawyer into the firm. So the, the winners will be the, the, the more professional workers for sure. And uh, what sort of um, new ways of remunerating people are we seeing that maybe aren't captured by the pure wage figures? I'm thinking of sign-on bonuses, those people who've renegotiated their arrangements so they're working from home three days a week instead of five days a week. And in effect, they've bought themselves four free hours, if you like, because they don't have to commute anymore. So in effect, they're well-being, if you like, or their return from their work is actually higher uh, than what their pay packet wage level might be. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. And I do think I don't think there's a lot of sign-on bonuses going on. I think that's going to be very niche and very rare. But I do think organisation employers are way more tolerant to say, actually, I do want to work from home three days a week. Oh gosh, really? I tell you what, I'll do. Two days a week for the first three months, so I'm in the office more than I'm not. And then after that, I want to go the next three months is three days a week working from home, and then we can reevaluate. And I think there's just way more flexibility at the moment because employers are just so 
desperate to get talent in the door. So it's not always about money. And if you think about companies that never really have done working from home and now realize, gosh, we can actually do do at least a decent proportion of work from home, then enabling those kind of opportunities can motivate workers to stay. And I haven't seen, I haven't really spent an extra cent. So it's one way to keep their wage bill down. I mean, and if you think about pay rises, if I'm trying to beat inflation, if I don't have to take my car out and I can, instead of, you know, getting up at six to get into work at 8.30, I could actually get out of bed at at 7.30 and start work and then finish a bit early and then my well-being and my maybe I've got time for kids and things like that then. So far more opportunities if you think outside of the box. Just on that hybrid work thing, uh, as a office planner, someone who has to think about uh, how many floors of the building we need to have or how big a warehouse we need, uh, how has this changed towards you know, people working three days a week. You often hear about people saying, I only work Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and I, I have my Mondays and Fridays off, so to speak, or working from home. Uh, do, do, do you think the office planners are going to have to have a moment of reckoning where they say, gee, I walk into the office and only a third of the desks are full, and I'm paying for three office floors. How do I, you know, squeeze this down so that when I walk in, all the desks are full. Yeah. But we know, of course, a lot of people don't like the hot desking thing. Yeah. So the, I mean, you know, if you think of downtown Auckland there, you might be talking, you know, hundreds of thousands per floor. And and I'd like to say to organisations, you know, if you've got five floors and you're you're spending, let's, you know, let's call it a million dollars a year, you know, you might actually be able to keep everybody happy on a hybrid wor- world with three floors rather than five, you've just saved, you know, 400 grand just through better organizing. I, and I did hear over the weekend, I was talking to a professional who said, oh, I know, I know some of my um, companies and competitors have been planning this since a month after the first COVID lockdown. Saw the writing on the wall let leases go, reduce the footprint, encourage working from home. So again, I think we see that savvy group have reacted quickly. You know, some some have obviously been trapped with long leases maybe, but I think we're going to see a rejig there totally. So I think one of the things is to, first thing I would say is if hybrid remains, then office, you know, we, we need all need a less office uh, footprint, right? We, we need to be more embracing. Totally agree that the hot, hot desking has a bit of New Zealand research in it, and it's not not positive because workers kind of hate it. And and again, I think it's the the trouble with the here is the here is the master solution, and you all must obey. <laughs> and so I think we need to realise that the future office will have some proportion who have their own offices if they used to have an office because they're in it four or five days a week. They just love coming into the office. Other people might have a hot desking spot and then maybe, a, you know, or a shared office or private spaces to work in. Um, and, and that's that kind of flexible thing. Trying to force everybody into one option or the other, though, I think is a recipe for disaster, including those like Elon Musk saying, you know, you must come back and do five days a week um, in the office. You know, I guarantee you he's having a few of his top talent there update their CVs and start job hunting. So yeah, yeah, I think it's being flexible is the key. 
Just finally, Jared, um, looking back on the last two and a half years, which none of us expected, what has surprised you most about how both workers and bosses have um, dealt with all of this? Yeah, that's a very good point because I think I think we we fail to commend ourselves in that regard, right? We we have been through this. You know, this is a you know once in a generation occurrence. We've never had this before. You know, there are some people still out there who you know who might have gone to war, for example. But on the, this is a kind of global event. It's really changed things. It has shook society, and yet most of us are still ticking along, doing our best, trying to do good for our employers, trying if you're an employer, trying to do good for your employees, trying to make a buck, trying to keep ahead. You know, those those spiraling house prices in, in Auckland and, and the whole country really probably have been a an additional challenge. So I guess one of the things is is how much we have done well to get where we are. However, my you know, my well-being data here says, you know, and I'll use burnout in particular, we were at kind of crazy levels end of last year and we're still at levels like, so in May is still 22.5% are in the highest severe level. Now, pre-COVID, I would have said, you know, 7 or 8% would be a kind of natural one. So I kind of look at that and I still think we've got three, you know, three times the the damage um, on people's well-being. So, I think people have got to remember as we start to move into some kind of more normality, it is okay to be exhausted. It's okay to say to your boss, you know what, I love I love my job, I love working for you, but man, I'm just beat. I, I really need to kind of time out because I think there'll be a good chunk of the workforce who needs that. And, and maybe partners at home need to realize, oh, actually, you haven't been coping. You've just been, you've just been faking it hoping that you'd make it, but, you know, but the damage is being done. So, you know, I think we need to encourage people. And, you know, and of course, this is ironic to say, go see a medical professional because, you know, a big chunk of medical professionals will be in this group too. They're, they're under the pump a lot. You know, if it, you know, in a perfect world, I think if we could just pause everything and give everybody a, you know, a month-long Matariki holiday where we all just engaged and feasted and didn't buy anything but just, talk to people and remind ourselves about how um, good life is as, as opposed to, you know, I, I always remember those things from the UK where they were having, you know, 100,000 cases in one day and, you know, thousands of deaths. And I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, they're, they're a lot larger than us, but not to the same kind of number-wise. So it's, it's just important to kind of realise we have been lucky in New Zealand, but if you're still struggling, I think that's quite a natural phenomenon and, and you got to be easy on yourself and just think, okay, we can, I just got to get to the end of 2022 and maybe things, you know, I see in, in the Herald there um, a lot more travel uh, airlines opening up uh, at the end of 2022. So maybe we'll, we'll be able to travel around a lot more at a far cheaper rate than you can at the moment. Jared, uh, thank you very much there. Really appreciate your time and would love to have you as a boss giving me a month off for Matariki. That would be amazing. Yeah, my boss is not giving us a month off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Jared. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spinoff Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off.
Kia ora e te iwi, te aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.